This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to pick up the very last verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. I hope you've enjoyed going through the book of 1 Peter. Amen? Amen. Um, the ending, this, these last couple of verses might have been easily, easy to just kind of tack on to the end of the last time I was here and just kind of gloss over, but I think there's something here for us today. Um, there's two things that I think we can see out of this. One, um, there is a, um, there is a summary, in a way, a summary of what the whole book has been about. And we also see how Peter cares, really deeply cares, for the people that he's writing to. Uh, so those are two things that I think uh, that we can see in the text that uh, we're going to look at today. Let's go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse 12 of 1 Peter 5. By Silvanus... A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon is likewise, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greeting, uh, I'm sorry, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you. Who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us strength. Lord, give us, nurture us with your word today. Help us to believe what you have said and to do as you have commanded. Lord, we love you because you first loved us in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter ends this letter saying, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written to you briefly. Now, Peter in the very beginning says, He's writing it. Right? It's, uh, it's, it's written by Peter. Uh, very first verse says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles, of the dispersion. And, 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 and so Peter is claiming authorship for himself, and yet he says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother. Now, what does this mean? Did Peter write it? Or did Silvanus write it? Now, here, here's the explanation. Here's how this, this fits together. Whenever it says by Silvanus, there's two possible options here. One is the idea that Silvanus, which was actually probably Silas, uh, it's another spelling of the name Silas, who is a probably the same one who was traveling with Paul. Silas or Silvanius may have been um, what you might call an amanuensis, that is, or, or a, a secretary. As Peter would dictate it, Silas would write it down uh, to send it. So that's one option that it could be. Another option, which I actually kind of lean towards, but you know, it could be either one, both of them make sense of it, uh, would be the idea that Peter wrote it, and he's sending it by hand through 
um, Silas. That Silas is the one who's taking it and delivering it to all the churches uh, on, the, on the route that, uh, that this uh, is going to. So by Silas, a faithful brother is I recording. And so he's naming, if, 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 if the second option is the right one, he's naming him, he's saying he's faithful brother as I regard him. So that, so that whenever um, Silas shows up with this letter in all these churches, they know, okay, we can trust him. Peter trusts him, uh, and, and I, we can trust him as well. He says, I have written to you briefly. Now, it's taken us quite a while to make it through here. Now, um, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I've only had the opportunity to be here once or twice a month throughout uh, the last year, and I, I think it's probably taken us all year long to make it through, if not longer. I don't remember exactly when we started. But it's a brief letter. This, there's five chapters here. And we think of Paul and his writings, the longest of which was Romans, which is 16 chapters. So in comparison, Peter here has written a brief letter. Um, so by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written to you briefly... Now, here's what he's saying he's doing. And this is where I, I get the idea that there's a summary of what the whole letter's about. Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. That's, that's what this letter has been about. It's exhort, exhortation and declaration. Exhortation and declaration. Uh, from the very beginning, I kept pointing out how there's two different types that we see here. There's this is what God has done. He has caused us to be born again, right? He, he, is, he has called us, He's made us into a spiritual house of living stones. He has brought us from death into life. He's brought us from, from darkness into light. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. And Christ suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. That is the declaration that this is the true grace of God. That's one of the things we see throughout this whole letter. This is what God has done. And then also, He's been exhorting. He's been exhorting. This is what we do because of what God has done. We live holy lives. We love one another. We fear God. We endure suffering. All of those things that he's been talking about throughout the whole letter are things we do because of what God has done. And here it's summarized in this short little sentence here. He says, I have written to you briefly exhorting. Those are the commands that we obey and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And, and he says, this is the true grace of God. He's emphasizing that. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there, aren't there? There's a lot, just like there was a lot of counterfeits out in Peter's day, you know, with, with uh, Gnosticism and all these different kind of isms. <laughs> and we got plenty of isms today, too. We, we've got uh, counterfeits that are out there today. Uh, you can think of li uh, legalism as one of the of the uh, counterfeits that's out there. Legalism will tell you, you've got to be a good person so that God will accept you. It, it, it's, you've got to clean up your act. You've got to, you know, stay away from, from uh, um, 
alcohol and, and, and all these kinds of things so that God will accept you. And if you don't clean up your act and do the right things, then, then you can't be accepted. That's legalism. The true gospel says we can't clean up our act. We never could. We are so totally broken that we could never make ourselves righteous before God. And what we do is we throw ourselves on God on the basis of Jesus Christ and say, count His blood to me. I could never do enough. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die in my place and be my substitute because I never could. That is the true grace of God. Amen? Or on the other side, we've got legalism and then we've got what we might call liberalism. And by that we might say, well, all we want to talk about is God's love. God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven and all this kind of stuff. But what liberalism does is it just reduces down to another form of legalism, honestly. Because they basically say, well, we can't really accept the supernatural. We know where babies come from. Virgins don't have babies. That's what liberal theology has said in the year, throughout the years. Oh, well, we can't really believe in a resurrection from the dead. People, when they die, they don't raise from the dead. That's what liberalism would say. So instead of accepting the supernatural, except, instead of accepting the Bible as it is, they say, well, let's just filter through and find out the ethical teachings of Jesus. You know, love your neighbor and all these kinds of things. And what you have to end up with liberalism is all just a kind of a veneer of Christianity with rules. And whenever you, whenever you undercut the supernatural, then those rules can kind of be changed. And those rules just kind of erode away and what you have by the next generation of liberalism is a new set of rules. Protect the environment. <laughs> it's just a no, whole new set of rules. It's just legalism. The true grace of God is Jesus came. He lived a sinless life among human beings. He came and He did what we never could. He obeyed the law perfectly and He died as an innocent man as a substitute for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We owed a debt and that debt has been paid. Jesus paid it all. Amen? That's the true gospel. That is the true grace of God. And Peter here says, stand firm in it. We will be tempted in this society today to go on one side or the other. We will be tempted to, to fall into error at every turn. But Peter here tells us, stand firm in it. We live as strangers and aliens in this world and the people on the outside of the church, they look at us and think we're weird. <laughs> they think we're strange. We believe that a dead guy rose out of the grave and that one of these days he's coming back 
And then we're going to raise up out of our graves too. They, they think that's weird. And they may ridicule us because of what we believe and what we say is right. And Peter says, stand firm in it. Amen. Don't go for the counterfeits. Stand firm in the true grace of God. Peter then says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends greetings to you. Who is this she? Is this a woman there in Babylon? And for that matter, where's Babylon? What's this Babylon all about? Well, Babylon. From the ancient times of of uh, the first few chapters in Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel. And from that time forth, you see Babel as a symbol of the powers of this world in rebellion against God. And you see the rise of ancient Babylon, and God used Babylon as destruction and as judgment on His people. Babylon, though, was the powers of the age that were in opposition to God and His people. And I think here, as Peter uses the term Babylon, it's not talking about Mesopotamia. He's not talking about present-day Iraq. He's probably talking about Rome. He's using this symbolically. At that time, Rome was the great power of the age that was in opposition to God and His people. And she, who is she? She, I think, is explained by the fact that in Greek, it's a language like French or like uh, Spanish that has genders. Okay? It's a, you know, uh, you've got la or el in Spanish, right? Um, in Greek, you've got uh, your, your article, your the, has... Um, has gender to it. And so she, I think, is referring to a feminine thing. And that feminine noun is church. Ecclesia is the word for church, and it's a feminine noun. And so that's, I think, why he says, she who is at Babylon, the church, the church who is at Babylon sends their greetings. And what we see here is a principle that, that the church that was there in Babylon, they were suffering where they were too, and they send their greetings and they cared about other suffering believers in another place. And what I think that applies to us is we need to also care about suffering believers who, who maybe we never meet. Um, the... the uh, the, those who were in Babylon or those who were in Rome, the church that was there, they maybe never met these Christians who were in uh, Asia Minor that the letter was going to. But they cared about them and they sent their greetings. And we will probably never meet many of the Christians who were suffering in places like Afghanistan or southern Sudan or China or all of these places But we ought to have a care and a concern for them. Pray for them. When we see things going on in the world where Christians are suffering, we need to pray for them. Pray. We may not be able to see them, but they are our brothers and sisters who are suffering in the same world that we suffer in. And we pray for them. 
She who is a Babylon who is likewise chosen. Well, how did, how did Peter identify the churches that he was writing to? In the very first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. That word, elect, it's chosen. Here, he refers to the Roman church as also chosen. They were chosen by God. They were likewise chosen. God had chosen people there in, in uh, Asia Minor, and He has chosen people there in Rome who were likewise chosen. Send their greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Now, who's Mark? Well, he probably was the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And tradition tells us, I'm pretty confident that it's probably the the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, because tradition tells us Mark, he wasn't one of the twelve disciples, but tradition tells us that he got his uh, narrative, his stories uh, that he wrote down from Peter. And so, so the Gospel of Mark comes a lot from, from Peter in that apostolic tradition. And uh, we also know this about Mark. He's also called John Mark. John Mark, who went on, went on the first missionary, with Paul, missionary journey with Paul part of the way. He didn't get very far, and he bailed on him. It was too hard. He gave up and he went home. And Paul and Barnabas, they go on the rest of the missionary trip and they get back to Jerusalem or or Antioch, one or the other. And they're getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. And Mark says, I'm going to go this time. I know I bailed out last time, but I'm not going to bail out this time. And Paul says, no, you bailed last time. I'm not going to give you another chance. And Barnabas is like, wait a minute. Let's be, some, let's be gracious here. Barnabas says, he, I'll take Mark. And, and Paul ends up traveling with Silas, the one who was bringing this letter along. Well, somewhere along the way, Mark becomes very useful for the gospel. I mean, he ends up writing the gospel of Mark. <laughs> And, and here, he's there with Peter in probably Rome. And Mark sends his greetings. And, and Peter calls him a son. He cares about him. He loves him. So much that he calls him his spiritual son. Verse 14. Here's the, here's the big part. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Sounds a little strange to our ears. It's the reason why I had Tom read the passage that uh, he read from. You got this story in uh, 1 Samuel, I think it was 1 Samuel, where, where David and Jonathan uh, kiss each other. And we think, ooh, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. There, there is nothing inappropriate about that. We are so culturally conditioned today to think that if something like that were to happen, there's something weird and romantic about it. And that's just not the case here. In David and Jonathan's day, that was a culturally appropriate form of physical affection. Even two men. You know, and I went on a mission trip to India one time, and I was kind of shocked because I was just walking along the street with, and there was this other guy walking along next to me, and he grabs my hand and holds my hand. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, st- 
But that's normal there in that culture. And the way we show physical affection kind of changes from culture to culture to culture. What Peter here is saying when he says, greet one another with a, hope, with a kiss of love, he's not saying that we in America in the 21st century need to go around kissing each other. <laughs> okay? He's saying that we need to greet one another with culturally appropriate forms of physical affection. We might say, greet one another with a holy handshake. Okay? Or, when necessary, hug. You know, when it's welcome and appropriate, you don't necessarily want to hug everybody that comes in the door. Or you might have some people who get kind of get weirded out by that, too. <laughs> but there's culturally appropriate times. And and here as a church, we are to care about each other. We are to care so much that we greet one another with appropriate forms of physical affection. And that's hard during times like covid. For so long, we were having to go fist bump, you know, <laughs> or things like that. We were just we were we we just kept back from people, and it hurt because we love one another and we want to show those appropriate forms of physical affection: a hug, a handshake, and all those kinds of things. And Peter here says, "Do it. We need touch." <laughs> and finally. Peter says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I'm just going to sum it all up. Peter, he, he writes this letter. He sends it out. Says it's trustworthy. And he tells us, I've declared to you and I've exhorted you with the true grace of God. Live it out. Believe it. Don't substitute it for something else. And love each other. And he closes with peace to all of you who are in Christ. And I think that's the best way to close it today. Peace to you who are in Christ.